When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. For joining us. Hello, folks. Welcome to Cudlow. I'm Larry Cudlow. Well, Speaker Mike Johnson says happy Valentine's Day with more love for America by stopping the Ukraine funding bill and closing America's border instead. Right on. And ace journalist Matt Taibbi, he'll be here asking if the election fix is already in. He's going to join us in just a few moments. And Oversight Chair James Comer is going to update us on Joe Biden's influence peddling and classified documents. Now, let me just begin with a couple of thoughts myself right off at the top. I just love what Speaker Johnson did today. Happy Valentine's Day, Speaker Mike Johnson. At a House GOP leadership news conference, Mr. Johnson said he wants to show Valentine's Day love to the American people by securing U.S. borders before ponying up another $100 billion in foreign aid to other countries. Wow. We have a sound on that? All right, let's hear it. Let's hear what he says. The American people are not feeling very loved right now. It's time for Washington to start showing some love to Americans. On Valentine's Day, this is a good day to point this out. You need to listen to the American people and their needs and take action. I just love that. I feel more love now than before. And if that weren't spectacular enough... Here's Speaker Johnson on the House bill itself. Coming right up. Take a listen. To be clear here again this morning, the Republican-led House will not be jammed or forced into passing a foreign aid bill that was opposed by most Republican senators and does nothing to secure our own border. All right, this is spot on. I just love this stuff. This is love. This is Valentine's Day love from the Speaker. It is also very good policy. And Speaker Johnson went on to say that he's been requesting a meeting with President Biden for a month. But Biden won't give him a meeting. Speaker wants to talk about the border and national security. And I'm going to guess he also wants to talk about Joe Biden's federal budget that has become a fiscal fiasco. That, according to the latest Congressional Budget Office baseline estimates. Now, this is where government debt held by the public is estimated to rise to $48 trillion dollars or 116% of GDP. And with all this new Biden spending, even the inflation rate that was creeping down is now beginning to creep higher again, along with the rising interest rates, including mortgage rates. On this fiscal point, former Speaker Newt Gingrich, writing on Fox News Digital, quote, the Senate's contempt for America is on full display once again. 22 Republican senators appear clueless about America's fears when it comes to our ballooning national debt, end quote. Newt's key point is that the Senate passed a $95.3 billion foreign aid package with zero offsets to pay for it. Zero. None. No one wants to talk about spending offsets anymore. That is, remember, if you spend a buck here, you have to erase a buck over there. Newt cites a poll that shows voters prefer Republicans by 50 to 34 percent 
over Democrats, so long as Republicans insist on spending offsets. But in this case, the GOP senators who voted for the foreign aid bill never even discussed offsets. That is not love. Back to Speaker Mike Johnson. He's talking about focusing on appropriation bills in the normal course of regular budget order rather than diving into another massive unpaid-for foreign aid bill. And I want to add from my perspective that any of these Ukraine funding bills should insist on some sort of diplomatic off-ramp mandate by Congress. The idea that because America doesn't like Vladimir Putin, that means we should never talk to the Russian dictator, or, as former President Trump suggests, attempt to negotiate a ceasefire or even peace, that idea is nonsense. You know, back in the day, Ronald Reagan, whose stated policy was to destroy Soviet communism, right? And he did. But along the way, he negotiated with Gorbachev. Not out of love, but as a tactic to nail down the Soviet coffin. Now, Trump wants to talk to Putin and is willing to talk to other dictators as a brilliant negotiator on behalf of America first. And I think Trump is right. And finally, back to Speaker Mike Johnson. He intends to close the border and restore the Trump border security H.R. 2 provisions that Biden destroyed when taken office. Biden's actions led to illegal immigration catastrophe. Mr. Johnson wants to protect America's border security first. So, I repeat, happy Valentine's Day, Mr. Speaker Mike Johnson. Okay, we're going to get back to all this in just a few moments. But first up, let's talk about America's fiscal path. Our own Edward Lawrence is standing by at the White House. Boy, this is not, you know, money can't buy you love, Edward, as I said last night. Here we go again. What you got, my friend? Yeah, but the president believes that money can buy the things that helps the challenges here at the White House, everything from helping the economy to the border to helping the uh, his allies overseas. But the Congressional Budget Office director issued a very stark warning today. Listen to this. I can tell you I am very confident that the fiscal trajectory is unsustainable. And so if they're, you know, under current law and that, um, you know, and so that's that's one of the key messages of our budget projections. So we're talking about now interest payments on the debt larger than all of the federal spending on children. It's also more than the government spends on Medicaid. By 2026, the Committee for Responsible Federal Budget says interest payments will top $1 trillion a year. That's just the interest, not even paying down the actual debt. And that debt concerns Republicans. Listen. We're at an economic and, and fiscal tipping point in this country. You know, every second we borrow another $90,000. So in the amount of time it took me to say $90,000, we borrowed another $90,000. Democrats in the House hearing with the CBO director today focused on the economy uh, as, you know, who the administration's pushing this line that people should feel better about it. Listen. While prices are still high, our economy has been remarkably, as, as noted by many people throughout the world, I would say, our economy has been remarkably resilient and inflation is coming down, I think, which we can all agree on based on the numbers, which could soon lead to interest, uh, interest rate cuts, as we're seeing. 
Yeah, and there is no talk here at the White House of changing any policies or that spending couldn't cure pretty much anything. Back to you. Hey, Edward, um, in the spirit of Valentine's Day, yeah. uh, those Fed interest rate cuts look like they're dead in the water for at least the foreseeable future. Meanwhile, as you know, market rates are going back yeah. up. In fact, the mortgage rate has crossed back above 7 percent. Yeah. Yeah, and that's one of the things. I, and the March rate cut was off off the uh, the table when the Fed chairman told me the committee couldn't get around to that. Now it looks like the May rates might be off the table, given what we've seen with inflation. You know, and you have more government spending yet to come that's going to just, as you know, keep putting pressure, that upward pressure on inflation. And there is that undertone behind these numbers that the core number is just kind of moving sideways. So. Let's see what happens. All right. Edward Lawrence, the best of the best. Thanks very much for that report. We appreciate it. All right. Joining us now, great pleasure, Chairman of the House Oversight Committee, Mr. James Comer. Chairman Comer, welcome back, sir. Uh, I want to I get to your I want to get to Bob Alinsky and I want to get to classified documents. But um, I want to start with what Mike Johnson said today, if you don't mind. Speaker Johnson made some very bold statements. He basically said, this is Valentine's Day, and we have to give Americans more love. The White House and the Democrats are ignoring it. They're giving money, foreign aid, to the Ukraine, and uh, we should have a protection of the U.S. border first. Basically, as I read uh, Speaker Johnson, there's not going to be any vote in the near term on the Senate bill. Can you enlighten us on this, uh, Mr. Comer? I strongly support what Speaker Johnson just said. Look, the people back home in Kentucky, uh, they want to spend their hard-earned tax dollars on uh, America First policies. They want to secure our southern border. That's one of the top priorities in my district. So this is where Congress needs to focus. The president already has the authority to secure the border. He doesn't need more money. He doesn't need a bill passed by Congress granting an amnesty. He just needs to do his job. We know he's not done his job because he uh, immediately halted the construction of the southern border wall that, that President Trump started, that we funded, and he, rem he filed to the Supreme Court to remove the razor wire that the Texas National Guard put down to obstruct people from crossing. So we know where Joe Biden is, and I support Speaker Johnson's statement. And according to Speaker Johnson today, just some follow-up, you're, you're, you're my nearest uh, poll to the Republican leadership, so I got, I got to ask you these questions, even though it's not yeah. your direct oversight, but you're a smart fellow, and you know all this stuff anyway. Johnson says Biden won't meet with him. Be trying to get a meeting for a month to talk about border security, to talk about national security, and also to talk about the budget and appropriation bills. And I'll bet you, Mr. Comer, Part of that conversation, I don't know if you saw Newt Gingrich op-ed piece, where are the pay-fors from the Senate? You know, Republican senators voted for this Ukraine money. Not a single pay-for. And that's one of the reasons why we're going bankrupt. Yeah, you're exactly right. I mean, uh, we can't continue this excessive spending, wasteful spending. We have to look at what... Uh, is our priority. What's the priority of the American people? And it's not giving Ukraine a blank check. It's, it's paying our own bills. It's securing our own border. It's fixing our own uh, broken, crumbling infrastructure. That's what the American people want in, uh, us to invest in, and they want us to invest what we take in. We cannot continue to spend $2 trillion more than we take in. You've talked about this uh, for many, many years, and, and that's the position of a majority of Republicans in the House of Representatives. Uh, one last one. So for the moment, uh, to use uh, Speaker Johnson, um, the GOP won't be jammed on the Senate foreign aid bill. 
And I'm here to say that happy Valentine's Day, Mr. Johnson. I hope he stays with that. The GOP will not be jammed on the Senate bill. And you might be still attempting to put a border security bill in there. You've got H.R. 2, which is a terrific bill. So are we right about this? You're not going to be jammed yeah. on the Senate bill, and you're going to try to pivot and get back to border security? Is that possible? That's possible, but I want to make sure everyone knows we've already passed H.R. Yeah. 2. I mean, we can pass it again, but uh, the Senate's the one that sat on that bill for months and months and months. That was one of the first pieces of legislation that we passed when we became the majority party, and it would fix the border. It's, it's uh, everything the president needs and more to do his job to secure the southern border, but yet the Republicans in the Senate uh, haven't demanded that Schumer take that up, and that's that's disappointing, and I think that's something that uh, has, has cost a lot of American lives with uh, more fentanyl and more human trafficking pouring across our unsecure southern border. All right. Thank you for that. So now let's go back uh, to your oversight hearings. Um, you've got, let's see, you've got Hunter Biden coming up. Uh, you've got James Biden coming up. You just had uh, Bobolinsky. You just had Walker. Is the case for influence peddling? in your judgment now, stronger after these most recent depositions uh, from Bobolinsky and um, what's his name, uh, Walker. Rob Walker. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, as you know, in an investigation, uh, to be able to convict someone, you have to uh, create a pattern of crimes. And what we've done with uh, Bobolinsky and Walker is we've created a pattern that Joe Biden was the brand. Joe Biden was what the Bidens were selling access to. I mean, the, the big question we've always had is, what did the Bidens do to receive the tens of millions of dollars from our enemies around the world? Well, according to Rob Walker and Tony Bobolinsky, under oath, it was they were selling access to Joe Biden. And Joe Biden knew. That's the other thing. Joe Biden said he never met with any of these people that sent his family money. We've proven he met with all of them. So this is an investigation of Joe Biden. I think the American people, even the Democrats in Congress and their allies in the, in the mainstream media, they know the Bidens were influence peddling. But what they try to say is, well, Joe Biden wasn't involved. Joe Biden didn't know. What we've been able to prove is not only did Joe Biden know, Joe Biden was, was a central figure in the influence peddling scheme. And, Mr. Chairman, sections of the Her report, the special counsel's report on Biden's classified documents problem, are showing that some of the documents that he illegally and willfully uh, took away from the Senate and the vice presidency had to do with Ukraine and China, which does all of a sudden cross rough to what Hunter Biden and the rest of the family influence peddlers were doing. And I'm trying to figure out, is that true? Is the classified documents uh, going back because of what Biden was worried about? He wanted to keep stuff. Uh, he didn't want people to know. And, of course, that would add to the illegality of it. He wasn't allowed to take it out in the first place. But that just adds to the, uh, to the uh, problem. What do you think about that? Is it in there? Well, we know that some of the documents that were classified that Joe Biden mishandled were documents from Ukraine and China. Uh, this is a concern to us because we know the Bidens have received millions and millions of dollars from Ukraine and Russia. Now, one of the documents that, that uh, we're concerned about uh, that showed up on Hunter Biden's email was a document he sent uh, to a Ukrainian oligarch. Uh, we want to know if this was one of the documents that were 
in Joe Biden's uh, stash of documents that he mishandled. If so, that proves that Hunter Biden was a, was an active participant in the the mishandling of classified documents. He was trying to profit on the fact that he had classified documents. He was trying to prove worth to the Ukrainians. Because remember, uh, when Joe Biden was vice president, he was making $80,000 a month on the board of Brisbane. The day Joe Biden left the vice presidency, they cut his salary in half because he had less value to him. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it would, it would uh, be very possible that Hunter Biden was trying to prove his value to this uh, Ukrainian oligarch uh, that, uh, look, I have access to these classified documents. Yeah. It fits in their business model. That's why we need to know exactly which documents and from which countries Joe Biden mishandled classified documents. Sure. Hunter Biden could have been peddling classified documents. Who the hell knows? Okay. I mean, it's an unbelievable story. It's uh, very possible he yeah, was. I know. I get it. Chairman Comer, thank you, sir. We appreciate it very, very much. Happy Valentine's Day, thank as always. Thank you. All thank right. You. Coming up here on Cudlow, Money Camp I Love. And Joe Biden's federal spending fiasco is bankrupting America. We'll talk about it with Steve Moore and Mike Falkender next up. You can remember, you can catch Cudlow Money through Friday, 4 p.m. right here on Fox Biz. Can't catch us at 4. Just text your favorite 9-year-old. She'll show you how to DVR the show. And you will never miss a classified document. Not a single one. I'm Cudlow. Happy Valentine's Day. Hey, folks, it's your man, Keyshawn Johnson, here to talk about Angie, formerly known as Angie's List, your go-to home services, marketplace for getting all your jobs done well. Now, you might be wondering, what exactly is Angie? Well, let me tell you. It's the nation's largest home services marketplace, connecting over 150 million homeowners with skilled professionals to tackle any project, big or small. As a homeowner myself, I always have things I want to work on for my house, whether it's general home renovations or fun projects like putting in a pool. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it a breeze to research, compare, and hire pros, ensuring every job is done well. Whether you're fixing a leaky faucet or planning a full kitchen renovation, Angie's got your back. And get this, folks. Angie's pros aren't just any old contractors. They're your neighbors, often running small businesses right in your community. Plus, they've been rated and reviewed by others in your area. So you know you're getting quality service. So why stress over home projects when you can turn to Angie? From finding the best price to scheduling a pro at your convenience, Angie's got you covered every step of the way. So get started today at Angie.com. That's Angie.com or download the app today to get started on getting all your jobs done. That's Angie, your trusted ally in home services. All right. Happy Valentine's Day again. You know, why not say it? I wore my pink tie. Nothing but love. But money can't buy you love. No matter how hard Joe Biden tries, he's still throwing us into bankruptcy. Not a good story. Joining us now is Steve Moore, Committee to Unleash Prosperity and host of More Money on WABC Radio and Michael Falkender. Former assistant treasury secretary and now the uh, bigwig economist at AFPI plotting a new administration. I hope to both of you, actually, and I will enjoy reporting on it. Um, Steve Moore, Newt's got a piece up on Fox Digital, and I mentioned it in my opening riff. And it goes to this. There are so many reasons why the Ukraine spending bill is a bad bill. But one reason, Steve, is there are no offsets. 
Republicans, right. what, 20 something Republicans voted for it. I never heard a peep about offset. You're going to spend $100 billion there, then take $100 billion out of here. In fact, make that a way of life. You know, happy Valentine's Day, America. We'd like to keep you out of bankruptcy, but no one seems to care. This business about offsets, you and I have looked at it for years. What is wrong with the GOP? And I hope that Mike Johnson uh, fixes it. Yeah, not one penny, not one penny right. of offsets on a hundred billion dollar spending bill. And whatever happened to, you know, pay as you go, uh, those wow. kind of rules that said if you're going to spe spend more money on one thing, you spend less on another. Uh, I calculated, Larry, that if this is such an urgent national priority for America, as Biden uh, said yesterday in his televised speech, then surely we could cut two cents out of every dollar of other programs to pay for it. They are not doing it. But I want to make another point that hasn't been highlighted. My friends at the Heritage Foundation have pointed out that if they if they approve this money, and let's say that you get a say a peace deal in uh, in Ukraine with the Russians, did you know that the government was still the federal government would still have to spend that money? And this is where I like your idea and Donald Trump's idea of giving the president empowerment power yes. so the president does not have to spend money if it's not necessary. Now, let's just stop for a minute. Thank you for that. Um, I want to add Russell Vogt, who is a very strong advocate of this. I have been right. in, I have been in love with budget impoundment for years. What this means, uh, Falkender, if you know some about this, for heaven's sakes, weigh in. But what this means, basically, is the president has executive authority. It's like regulatory yes. authority on the fiscal and budget side. If he sees monies that he feels are being spent unwisely and or inefficiency or incorrectly, he can impound it. That is to say, take it away. The last guy to have it was Nixon, uh, Mike Falkender, but Nixon got blown up by Watergate and a left-wing Congress in 1974 and 1975. Mm -hmm. Why not bring back bu budget impoundment, just to repeat, because my saintly wife asked me last night, she said, could you put a sentence in what it really means? It's very important. It just means... Presidents have executive authority to control the budget. How's that? They can make executive decisions if they see problems and inefficiencies or corruption. Falkender, what do you think about that? I mean, it won't solve every problem, so, so, but it wouldn't be bad. No, not at all. Because, Larry, it's worse than what you described, because what it says is that if the president or sorry, if the Congress says we need to fulfill some obligation, let's say on on education or what you just discussed on foreign affairs, if the president can do it less expensively, what must happen right now is that they have to spend every dollar that Congress appropriated. So even if five billion dollars is allocated, but the president can do it for three, they've still got to spend the entire five. And so that's the problem, is that it generates no incentive at all for the bureaucracy, for the executive branch to find any kind of efficiency. And instead, it actually encourages the very profligate spending that's putting us into this fiscal situation. See, this is, uh, Steve, I'll come back to you on this. Um, this is stuff, you give this authority to a tough president, not a weakling like Biden, but a tough president like Trump tough, okay? He knows how to do this stuff. He ran a budget. He was a successful, you know, fabulously successful businessman. Okay, so he will rip into the swamp like you've never seen ripped into the swamp. <laughs> he will rip into the civil service, because you know what else Russ Vote is cooking up, and a lot of, uh, uh, we've been talking about this amongst ourselves. I want to end the civil service tenure 
okay? There's no reason why those guys should have lifetime tenure. They're worse than the Harvard faculty and just as far left as the Harvard faculty. That's another one. I want to rip in. I want to drain the swamp. I want to rip in in the swamp. And stuff like civil service, ending civil service tenure and uh, budget impoundment authority and lots of other things that can be done will go after the swamp. Lock, stock and barrel, Steve Moore. That's a whole lot better than jacking up taxes, which is what Biden's and the Democrats want to do. Well, you know, every president from George Washington to James Madison to Abraham Lincoln to Franklin Roosevelt used this empowerment power that you and Michael were just talking about. And by the way, another president who wanted to use this power was a president you and I worked for, Ronald yes. Reagan. Yes. And he was so frustrated yes. that he had to spend tens of billions of dollars that he didn't think was necessary that, that, uh, for obsolete programs. So this is a... By the way, what CEO of a company would be required to spend money on things that they don't need to spend money more? Right. You can't even make this up. It is so... Uh, outrageous. And, and by the way, one other quick thing. Uh, the most of, we don't have to spend a ton of more money in Ukraine if we would drill, baby, drill, another theme of yours, and bankrupt the Russians. That's one of the reasons that, in my opinion, that Russia went into Ukraine in the first place. Oh, I think you're 100% right. 100% right. Mike Falkender, you look at the CBO numbers. Uh, our Ed Lawrence had some clips of uh, Philip Swigel. Uh, even the CBO director says it's unsustainable. We had Douglas Holtz-Econ on, a former CBO director, dear friend, smart guy, right? He said it's unsustainable. Nobody in town except the far left loves this stuff. The point is, though, Mike Falkender, uh, when you become a big shot in the Trump administration, what are you going to do? What's your plan? Give us, in 30 seconds, your plan to solve uh, 120% of GDP budget deficits, uh, 200, let's see, two and a half to three trillion dollar deficits as far as the eye can see. Spending is 24% of GDP, vastly above the 50-year average. 30 seconds, Falkender, what are you going to do about it? <laughs> All right. Item number one is what Steve just said. Drill, baby, drill. Unleash American energy abundance to drive down the cost of everything that we produce. Number two, send power back to the people through deregulation. Let businesses and individuals operate their own lives. Number three, massively slash the spending. There's no reason for the bureaucracy to be spending the amount of money that it does. Four, extend pro-growth tax reform. Number five, let's make sure we've got sound money and sound financial institutions. And number six, let's make sure that our trade deals around the world are reciprocal. It should no longer Ooh. be the case that Ooh. American manufacturers Ooh. suffer a disadvantage. What do you think, Steve? Pretty good. I think he's got it. I think he's got the whole agenda. By the way, don't forget, it's not just Valentine's Day. It's Ash Wednesday. I hope you got my, your ashes today, my friend. <laughs> I, I'm going to go. Can I, I'm going to get communion after the show. I promise. All right. You guys are great. Nice going, by the way. Michael Falkender, I'll tell you, you're just a star. Steve Moore, you've always been a star. Thanks very much, kids. Coming up here on Cudlow, here's a tough one. Is the election fix already in for 2024? Democrats, okay, insurrectionists. So we're going to ask ace investigative journalist Matt Taibbi. He wrote a very tough but informative piece. And then we'll hear a little bit from Joe Concha and Caroline Downing. All that when Cudlow returns on Valentine's Day and Ash Wednesday. Yes. Well, ace investigative journalist Matt Taibbi asked in a dynamite article... Is the electoral fix already in 
The 2024 presidential race increasingly looks like it will be decided by lawyers, not voters, as Democrats unveil plans for America's first lawfare election. And it's a great pleasure. He's uh, come to join us on the show to talk about this, Matt Taibbi. Uh, so, Matt, I, I guess I read most of it. I originally read about it. Uh, you make some really uh, tough points. Uh, I know you're not a partisan guy. I know you're not a big Trump supporter per se. But it is interesting that Democrats thought Trump was going to blame them for being an insurrection. Now they're blaming Trump. Now they're trying to sabotage the election. Everything is lawfare. Keep them off the ballot. And riff, riff on this, because this is dynamite stuff. Hadn't gotten enough attention, Matt. Uh, well, first of all, thanks for having me on, uh, Larry. Uh, I've, I've been covering presidential elections since 2004. Normally, at this time of year, uh, media is intensely interested in what voters think. And we're out there going from state to state interviewing people about what, who, whom they're going to vote for. This year, all of the key battles are going to be taking place in courtrooms. We had uh, the Supreme Court hearing last week uh, about the Colorado case. There were complaints just filed about Robert F. Kennedy Jr. There's an ongoing battle to keep the, the no labels third party off the ballot uh, in multiple states. And it, all of this stuff is designed to make key determinations about who, uh, who can participate in the elections ahead of the 2024 vote. Uh, and there's the possibility exists that, uh, you know, everybody but the major party candidate on the Democratic side will face very, very serious legal challenges uh, ahead of this vote. Yeah, Biden won't let any primaries. I find that most curious. You know, people refer to 68 when LBJ stepped down because Gene McCarthy sort of upset him in New Hampshire. Uh, believe it or not, I was a kid in those days working on those campaigns. But the pro there are no primaries now. Biden won't let it, which I think is completely undemocratic. Right. And this is, an, uh, again, a massively underreported story because uh, for whatever reason, the mainstream press, which should be intensely interested, at least in the goings on of the Democratic Party, uh, didn't seem to care that they essentially disallowed the results of the New Hampshire primary, uh, that they canceled, flat out canceled the Florida primary. And, you know, Robert F. Kennedy Jr., who was slated to run a very well-financed campaign from within the Democratic Party, was essentially forced to run as a third-party candidate uh, because of all these obstacles. Mm. And they're, they're not allowing you to run a mounted intramural challenge, and they don't want you to run a third-party challenge. And they're trying to get Donald Trump off the ballot in the Republican Party. So who do they want to run against? It's, yeah. it's, it's kind of an interesting question. It's a very odd thing. You know, you're right. Um, the left feels completely justified usurping the Democratic will of the American people in order to, quote, save democracy. And you also mentioned this Transition Integrity Project, TIP, uh, run by Jennifer Granholm and uh, John Podesta. I I've known John Podesta forever and ever when I was a Democrat. But it just sounds like they're itching. I know no one's blameless on all sides in politics, but it sounds like the Dems are itching to sabotage the election. So the Transition Integrity Project was another really, really interesting story, again, underreported. that uh, It came out in the summer of, of 2020 that there was a group of people who claimed to be deeply concerned that Donald Trump would not leave the White House 
voluntarily. So they gathered 100 prominent people who included, as you mentioned, uh, Energy Secretary Jennifer Granholm, John Podesta, the former head of the DNC, Donna Brazil, the former head of the RNC, Michael Steele, uh, a number of, of former defense officials uh, and people in the military. And they had war game exercises uh, to determine what to do yeah. if um, in a series of contest, contested election scenarios. Yeah. And one of the scenarios involved a clear Trump win in which John Podesta playing Biden uh, threatened to secede from the union <laughs> rather than go along with the result. And uh, this only got out because somebody leaked it to The New York Times. Otherwise, we would never have heard about it. Uh, but this kind of group is apparently constituting again. There was a story in NBC a couple of weeks ago talking about another loose-knit organization mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. that is making kind of plans. And you have to think that they're wargaming similar situations. All right. Uh, Matt Taibbi, there's never enough time in life. But we appreciate your coming on very much. And um, congratulations on some tough uh, journalism. Really appreciate it. Matt Taibbi, everybody. All right, folks, switching gears here, our Valentine's Day show. We have Joe Concha, media and politics columnist and Fox News contributor. He's not wearing red or pink. And we have Caroline Downey, politics reporter for the National Review, who has some red on. Pink's kind of the Valentine's color, isn't it? No? I thought it was red with love, okay. Larry. It could be red with love. <laughs> red for roses. Could be That's red. right. Uh, the what default. Do you what do you Matt, Matt, Matt Taibbi, smart guy. He's not a man of the right, no. uh, arguably a man of the left, but a good investigative reporter. Uh, I don't know if you've read stuff or read summaries of this stuff. It's, it's shocking. Democrats want lawfare. They want sabotage. They're the insurrectionists. They are throwing every dirty trick in the book. They're weaponizing the legal system mm -hmm. against Trump. But, Larry, some have postulated that Trump may be undermining his own electoral prospects by effectively planting a taboo in the minds of low-propensity, blue-collar demographic voters that the election mechanics like early voting mm. and like early voting, not, not sending a mail-in ballot is jinxed. That is something that, that Trump's legacy is, you know. He said, you only got to go in person, day of. That's the only turnout well, that matters. I think he's changed that. He well, doesn't like it, but he's changed it. But here's the thing. I want, not, Joe gets to say one second. Um, the new group governing the Republican National Committee, their job, raise money, yes, yes. But they have to guard against the Democratic effort to sabotage the election, the early voting, the harvesting, the everything. They will do what they can to steal this election. Is there any doubt in your mind? Forget Trump. Trump, I mean, Trump's not a cause here. He's a victim of this. Now, I'm not going to redo all that stuff. And uh, Zuckerbucks, and, which is where I think, and Molly Hemingway wrote about it, where the real problem was. But the point is, the RNC has not be able to nap through this next election. I don't know if they're going to be able to navigate it, but I got to say, I think the special election in New York, that's a case study in Republicans not capitalizing on early voting the way the Democrats did. We huh. have to be competitive just like them. That's what that loss in New York is being attributed to partially. You think, Joe? You think? I just look at the numbers here, and I don't see this being a bellwether election, what just happened in New York 3. Think about Tom Suozzi for a moment. He represented this district. He won three elections yeah. already. He had name brand recognition. Right. His Republican opponent is still a registered Democrat, right. right? But when you go through the facts, you look at the fact that this is a district that 
Barack Obama won twice, that Hillary Clinton won right. easily, that Joe Biden won by 10 points. So how is this a bellwether again? Because George Santos just happened to sneak in, win one election. Then again, if you looked at that guy's resume going into that election, how do you vote against George Santos at this point? But, but my point is overall that the 10 wealthiest districts in the country are all Democrat. This district is the most wealthy in New York, fourth wealthiest district in the country. So, of course, it so was going to go to the, the Democrat. Democratic profile. Yeah. But, you know, what Matt Taibbi said is very interesting because the Democrats will do their darnest to sabotage. They will. OK, well, they're better saboteurs than Republicans. And your point, I agree with I agree. The GOP has got to learn how to be the greatest harvesters in the world. they got to be the early. If that's the game that's going to be played and the paper ballots will not make a comeback between now and November, maybe sometime in the future or maybe never, the Republicans, who I think got out-jocked in 2020 and 2022, they got out-jocked and they have got to get their game back. They must get their game back. This is the game. These are the new rules. And we can have disdain the fact that, oh, my gosh, the voting machine is digitized and all these new technologies well, well. are we can't present a paper ballot anymore and and make the counting efficient. But yeah. that's just how it is. And we have to play to win. All right, kids. Happy <laughs> Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's Day. Day. Did you get your wife something nice? <laughs> I'm going to. They're giving bouquets away downstairs. It may be all gone, but I'll buy her a beautiful bouquet roses. I always can't do. give her the free bouquet. <laughs> 36 years. Love, love, love. Wow. Love, congratulations. Joe oh, wow. Concha, Caroline Downey, and no election saboteurs. Coming up on the show, just because we don't like Putin doesn't mean we can't negotiate with him. Okay? You can negotiate with your enemies if you have to. We're going to talk about it with General Keith Kellogg. Reagan talked to Gorbachev before he kicked his butt. Remember, folks, Cudlow's available as a butt-kicking podcast. Episodes available every weekday on our show as Spotify, Apple, and FoxBusinessPodcast.com. Happy New Year's. No, happy Valentine's Day. Boom. So just because we don't like Vladimir Putin, don't like him, don't trust him, know he's our adversary, dictator, whatever word you want to use, does that mean really we can never negotiate with him? I don't really buy that, but let's hear from a veteran diplomat and security advisor, my great friend, Lieutenant General Keith Kellogg, former National Security Advisor in the Trump administration, AFPI Center for America's Security Co-Chair. You know, Keith, I, as a child, worked for Ronald Reagan. And Ronald Reagan's stated goal was to destroy Soviet Union and Soviet communism. But after their leaders stopped dying on him and found one who stayed alive, namely uh, Mikhail Gorbachev, he talked to them and negotiated with them and used it as a tool to bring the Soviets down. Now, I don't understand why we can't apply that logic today. Yeah, Larry, thanks for having me. By the way, Red, happy Valentine's Day. Yes, you too. <laughs> uh, look, you and, I, yeah, you and I both know Donald Trump pretty well in the sense that he reaches out to people all the time, and you need to do that. You know, what's that old adage? You know, keep your friends closer and your enemies closer, mm -hmm. your friends closer, but your enemies closer. And he would do that. And I think that was an important characteristic of Donald J. Trump. Look, President Biden has not spoken to, to Vladimir Putin in two years, mm -hmm. two years. And he's only met him one time. And that's a big mistake. And, and I can show you the track pattern with Biden, how he's done that to a lot of world leaders. At least keep the lines of communication open. 
you got to keep the dialogue open. You know, I saw President Trump talk to Mueller Barader, who was chief of the Taliban, a couple of times. Mm -hmm. We saw him talk to Xi. We talked. We saw him talk to Kim Jong Un. We we saw him talk to Vladimir Putin. And I was fortunate enough to be on what we you know you and we used to call drop lines, where you'd be in on the conversation. Everybody understood mm -hmm. you on the call mm -hmm. as well when he would talk to Putin and how we talked to him. But that that's such an important deal for a president to be able to to keep those lines of communication open because when you don't things happen like what are happening today is you don't know what the russians are doing you don't know what they're up to they've broken down the lines and and i don't think honestly larry i don't think he can reestablish them i think yeah. he has just broken those lines with putin so badly he cannot re-engage i mean i think that what you've got is this weird mantra this is how they help sell this uh hundred billion dollar ukraine aid bill, foreign aid bill, uh, in the Senate. you got guys like Chuck Schumer, uh, Mitch McConnell, honestly, others, some Republicans saying this, that, you know, we must not talk to Putin, and anybody who votes against this bill is pro-Putin. Or they tried to say Trump is pro I mean, this is like the Russian hoax all over again. This is nonsense. This is not how you conduct international relations. And you're absolutely right. right. You know, you've you got to keep your enemies closer. Look... Take Trump. Trump is a master negotiator. He did it for a living for right. many years, and he did a very good job of it, whether it was the Abraham Accords or whether it was dealing with trade deals with Xi or trade deals with other countries. Uh, he tried to deal with Putin. Why can't we... If Ronald Reagan, who, you know, lived and breathed to destroy the Soviet Union, if he could talk to those... And they were literally communist dictators in those days. Why in the world can't American leaders talk to them? Yeah, you know, Larry, those comments that are coming out of Capitol Hill, I mean, those are a real disservice to the American people. Maybe it's in the water they're drinking. I don't know. But part of the, what the American people expect is they expect their leaders to be able to engage diplomatically throughout the world, whether you like the person or not. And I don't care if you criticize President Trump for talking to Vladimir Putin. He did for a lot of different reasons. And I saw him on good days and bad days when he mm -hmm. did it, meaning good things were happening in Russia and bad things were happening in Russia. Mm -hmm. when, the, when the Russians attacked us in Syria, he called them. And when the Russians had a huge forest fire in Siberia, President Trump called them. I saw him do the same thing with President Xi of China, with Kim Jong-un, uh, Mullah Barader of the Taliban. You've got to keep those lines open. And for people to say you don't do that, that's foolish. For example, when Joe Biden called to Saudi Arabia a pariah state, yeah. and then he looked at Mohammed bin Salman, you know, the crown prince, and, and basically they got a fist, fist bump instead of a sword dance. Mm. Well, that shows you what happens, and it marginalizes our ability yep. to influence the world yep. as a leader. And people see that, adversaries and friends as well. General Keith Kellogg, making a lot of sense, common sense, good common sense. Thank you very much. Happy Valentine's Day, folks. I'm Kudlow. Be back with my last word. Happy Valentine's Day. Save our border. Save the country. Kill the Senate bill. We love America. And happy Valentine's to Liz McDonald and her great show. And to you, too, Larry. We match with a tie and a shirt. Yes, happy Valentine's you Day bet. to you. It's good to see you. Let's get right at it. We're staying on the new developments, breaking news coming in. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Janice Dean, Fox News Senior Meteorologist. Be sure to subscribe to the Janice Dean Podcast at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And don't forget to spread the sunshine.